You're listening to Doctrine and Duty, podcast of Brian Ray, Senior Pastor of Alexander Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, where biblical theology meets everyday Christian life. Greetings again, beloved. Welcome to another edition of Doctrine and Duty. Dr. Brian Ray here. Uh, so, we're looking at the uh, church ordinances, and specifically today, we are continuing our discussion, or my teaching, on the Lord's Supper. So, the last episode was heavy on doctrine. We're going to try to get you uh, to some duty um, today. But uh, a, couple, a couple of ways that I want to do that is by talking about the, uh, the how often uh, question. How often should a church uh, host... Uh, or participate in, celebrate a Lord's Supper service. So um, there's a lot of practical things here I want to talk to you about by way of duty relating to doctrine, okay? Uh, First of all is how often. I know that some churches and some denominations, uh, for instance, the Church of Christ, uh, a denomination back home in Tennessee, is one that used to and possibly still does have the Lord's Supper at the end of every service. There are other denominations and other churches who see fit to do that as well. Uh, my my issue with that is that it becomes routine, it becomes mundane, it becomes something uh, that just happens every week, and it's something that's the same that happens every week, and I feel that it would lose its importance, its sense of urgency, its sense of uh, presence and power. So I would argue against the fact that you have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um, some churches have it once a quarter. Uh, some churches have it in their bylaws, the exact Sundays that they're supposed to have it. The problem with that is it negates the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. When some sort of situation or issue might arise to where there is a need for us all to just stop what we're doing and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So the way we do it is we have we have a little bit of both. We, we have tradition, and we also uh, leave ourselves open to the impromptu working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's working is never impromptu from His perspective, but it is from ours. So let me make sure you understand that. So for us, around the first of the year, we have a morning Lord's Supper service. And sometime in September, uh, about the midpoint of the year, we have a little bit uh, a Sunday morning Lord's Supper service, typically. Now, um, the Lord's Supper service in the evenings, um, we usually have one. Um, oh, by the way, uh, we also have one in the morning uh, around uh, or in the evening around Palm Sunday. And then there are there's usually one associated with um, uh, Thanksgiving. So we typically trend to somewhere between six and seven Lord's Supper services throughout the year. I guess if you want to average that, that averages to about, um, you know, once every two months, something like that. Um, Now, another how or another practical win is um, when do you have it as far as the service goes or how does it look in the service? Now, uh, the churches who have it every week and then many churches who have it um, not as often will have the Lord's Supper service tacked on to the end of a service as if it's just like um, an extra item. It's just like, so here's our worship service, and oh, by the way, we're also going to throw in this Lord's Supper because after all, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Um, I learned many years ago that, that the Lord's Supper is deserving and worthy of its own service. So that's the way we do it at our church. In other words, we do have singing and giving and praying, but uh, the the message portion of the service is the Lord's Supper, and it's related to the Lord's Supper. Whatever text of Scripture, whatever message has been prepared, it is all to prepare us to receive the Lord's Supper service and to experience uh, the presence of Christ through that. So, 
it is my belief that the Lord's Supper should be a standalone service, that it is worthy of that and more, if possible, if it could be. Okay, so those, those are some practical uh, issues in dealing with the Lord's Supper. Uh, some more practical issues. Uh, we should each and every one of us prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. We should be praying about it. When the church announces that there is a Lord's Supper service, we should mark our calendars. We should make it a priority. We should do everything we can to be there at that service or to regret being there. Now, because of corona and people staying at home, uh, you can actually, and we do ours on Facebook live stream and YouTube, you can actually participate in the Lord's Supper at home. Now, I would recommend, I would urge you to come to church. But if for some reason you can't, at least because of technology now, you're able to do that at home. So many people will not miss out on the Lord's Supper due to these uh, provisions and blessings of the Lord. So that's a great thing. Um, but our hearts need to be right. And so as we mark it on our calendar, as we pray about it and pray for it, we need to pray for ourselves that our hearts will be clean and pure before the Lord. So much so that even as the service takes place, I will call attention to the fact that we need to, as Paul says, examine ourselves. Let a man examine himself, and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So just some very practical pointers. Um, another practical pointer has to do with when should someone be allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper service. And I would say after they've been saved and after they've been baptized. Uh, of course, there might be a situation where a baptism is not... Um, possible in the foreseeable future where I might allow someone to participate in the Lord's Supper prior to baptism, but this would have to be someone who is uh, a regular attender. They've joined the church and uh, are awaiting baptism. Well, they haven't officially joined, but they have sought church membership, and they have proven themselves to be regular in faith and regular in attendance. I might allow for them to have the Lord's Supper prior to baptism, but for all intents and purposes, um, there is the, the prerequisite of baptism and salvation, obviously. And, of course, salvation is a prerequisite for baptism. So sa saved, baptized, and then participate in the Lord's Supper. It would not make sense at all for someone who is not saved to participate in the Lord's Supper service. So the Lord's Supper service is an ordinance of the church. So this is a church issue. This is a, this is a church, a congregational issue. It's something that we enjoy and employ in the midst of the body of Christ. Now, before we leave the subject matter of the Lord's Supper. I I defined um, I defined ordinance right as um, a two corporate acts initiated and commanded by Jesus Christ for His church, for His church to participate in, to experience, to enjoy, and to follow. And I talked to you about the the two are baptism and the Lord's Supper, and they go in that order for more than one reason. But we never really looked at a definition of the Lord's Supper. So. Uh, we're going to do that. Now, over the, the years of church history, there have been provided uh, three different viewpoints of the Lord's Supper. I'm sure there are more, but three major ones. Um, the first is Roman Catholic view of the Lord's Supper, and it is called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation. You can look it up whenever. Transubstantiation, that view is uh, the Catholics, they believe that the, the conversion of the substance, so the bread and the wine, uh, of the Lord's Supper elements into the body and bloody of Christ at consecration. Only the appearances of bread and wine still remain. So they believe that in some sort of supernatural way, uh, whatever elements they're using, whatever wafer, whatever bread, whatever juice, whatever wine, that they supernaturally become the essence of the body and blood of Jesus. I um, 
wow, I, I wouldn't know where to begin um, other than to say we do not consume Jesus' body and blood. There's so many things wrong with that doctrine. Um, it's, it's just not biblical, and it's, it's not even right uh, ethically and morally. So we're going to toss that one out very quickly. That's, that's not right. Uh, now, as you know, uh, there was a split between the, uh, the Catholic Church and the Lutherans, what became known as the Lutherans, and uh, as led from the Protestant Reformation by Martin Luther. And the Lutherans uh, came up with their own definition or view of the Lord's Supper. And the problem is they still maintain some of their ties to the Catholic Church because they were breaking away, but yeah, but we're still kind of connected. So uh, the, their view, the Lutheran view, is called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation. And that is the belief that the substance of the bread and wine coexist with the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. So it, it doesn't fully become the body and blood of Jesus, so we're not consuming Christ's flesh and drinking his blood. Uh, but there is this real close connection uh, with the bread and the wine and the body and blood of Jesus. So uh, again, for reasons that are very practical, we would also reject this view as well. Leaving us with the third major view of the Lord's Supper, and that is the symbolic view. And the symbolic view is that the elements are symbolic. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The juice of the wine represents the blood of Jesus. Uh, just a, a little side note. Um, we use juice. We do not use wine. Um, we do not want to promote something that could cause someone to have issues. People who are recovering from alcohol addiction, uh, people who want to maintain a testimony of um you know, totally abstinence from alcohol. We would not want to cause a problem. And I would also argue that most likely the wine that Christ used when he instituted the Lord's Supper uh, was probably a new wine, which wouldn't be much uh, harder than our Welch's or whatever brand of uh, grape juice that we might use. So uh, that's a story for another day. Well, I probably won't ever do a podcast on that, but uh, more than likely the wine used by Christ was... Um, just a little more than juice, or maybe even juice itself. So the symbolic view is that um, these elements just represent Christ's body and blood. The bread represents his body. The blood is represented by the wine. And that's it. It's just symbolic. We're not eating Jesus. <laughs> We're not almost eating Jesus. These things are total representations. Okay. Now there is a little bit more of a... I guess there's a fourth view, which which is kind of connected to the third view, the symbolic view, and that's the spiritual presence view that was uh, articulated by John Calvin. And um, I think he makes a good point. I think his definition uh, or, or the viewpoint that he espouses is is a little more powerful than this just represents, but it doesn't go to the extreme of con or transubstantiation. And so for Calvin, uh, the Lord's Supper is more than symbolism, more than a memorial. Um, it is symbolic, he says, but um, they do more than just symbolize, more than just represent. They actually bring to us the presence of Christ. And, you know, when I heard these things, I had never heard these doctrines until I got to seminary several years ago. I found myself, without anyone arguing or telling me as a, as a Baptist what I should or should not believe, uh, really resonating with, with the Calvin uh, view, just because so many people will take the Lord's Supper lightly. Oh, it's just a symbol, no big deal. No, 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 wait a minute. It is symbolic. But also you have to understand that during this Lord's Supper, 
as you are remembering the work and the death and the atonement of Christ, there is a powerful opportunity as Christ meets with his people for people to be converted, for people to be convicted of their sins, for people to grow closer to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying I would fully espouse a spiritual presence view, but I do believe that the symbolic view is just a touch shy of where we need to be. And so we need to uh, agree that it is symbolism, that it is a representation, but uh, we do not need to make li- make it light uh, and also believe that the, the presence of God in power and the Spirit of Christ is definitely present within the Lord's Supper service. So there you have it, um, two parts on the Lord's Supper. I want to invite you to join me again. Uh, the next two episodes will cover baptism, the first ordinance of the local church. So some things for you to remember. I love you. Uh, number two, go to church, Bible-believing uh, church, Bible-preaching church, uh, gospel-sharing church, God-fearing church. And I know one, Alexander Baptist Church. Join us. Join us online, abch.org. Check out our website. Uh, follow us on Facebook, YouTube. We'd love to have you as a part of our, our uh, fellowship in person as well. So you take care. You've been listening to Doctrine and Duty, a podcast of Alexander Baptist Church, located at 4316 Pamela Court, Chesapeake, Virginia. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. and find us online at abch.org.